Hi everybody, Pauline Clark here from Autism Wired Different and welcome back to my podcast where I give you some tips and tricks that I have learned over the last 18 years while taking care of my autistic family. This week I'm going to talk to you about basically how I've been feeling over the last few weeks which is almost like I'm drowning in autism. Might be a weird thing to say but There's just so much that goes on. Sometimes you can't get your head above water and you can't see what's to come. So rather than rant on, which is probably what I could do, I'm going to break it down into two aspects of autism. So the first one is getting your assessment, getting that diagnosis, how to go about it, how I went about it and all the pitfalls that might happen. Now, a couple of things to be aware of when I'm sort of going through this. Okay, we live on an island and it's a small country here in Ireland, but it's very sort of disjointed. So no two counties tend to run the systems the same way. That's from my own experience and what I've found out. And there's very little joint up thinking. So you can imagine our health service, so the HSE, and it's this huge branch of the government and their job is looking after all the health services within the country. However, each of the individual branches, whether it's for different health benefits or disabilities, they never speak to each other. So it can become very, very frustrated when you're going in with one thing with your child and sometimes they're linked. Sometimes their behaviours might be linked to autism or they might be linked to a different disability or because of health reasons. But these departments never speak. So you're going to find yourself in this unknown territory, unknown sea, assuming that all these health professionals speak to each other, but they don't. So just be ready for that one. But I'm going to tell you how I went through it. I'm going to tell you the experiences that I've had so far, and hopefully it'll give somebody just a little bit of help when they're going. And then the second thing I will talk about is the therapy that your child will need or the therapy that your child will get or be offered once you have had your child assessed or diagnosed. Um, And again, just be ready for it because it does not exist. There is no therapy through the health service system, really. It's limited um, and most of it will be put on your shoulders. But anyway, to get started. So I think the first thing to say is when it comes to the assessment, they have changed. So the first time I had a child assessed was 14 years ago. And you've got sort of two options when it comes to having your child assessed. You can go through the health service system or you can actually go through private now, basically, what mostly what happens, if you have a child that's high functioning, and this is from speaking to other parents, so if you have a child that is high functioning, um, verbal, but is displaying issues or displaying signs that there may be something there, chances are that child will be picked up more so when they get into the educational system. So they're at home with you, you sort of see them as little quirks or isn't that cute or look how clever my child is and they're adding and doing addition at two years old and you think you've got this genius and Einstein on your hands but you don't really realise, gosh, there might be something here that'll hinder them later on in life because it all looks rosy and because you're doing everything for them anyway at that stage. So most children like that end up going into the educational system, whether it's preschool, generally it's in primary school. They start out at four years old and before you know it, you're getting a phone call from the school saying, look, we think there's something here. We think you need to get your child assessed. And that's fine. It's up to you then to say, okay, we've got to take this on board. Again, from that point, usually if you have a, a high functioning um, child, is that you would then go to your um, what's called an assessment of needs officer. Now, this has only been taken in in the last probably 
seven or eight years. It wasn't around when I first went with my first child 14 years ago to be assessed. At that point, what happened was I contacted my district health nurse. She told me about a early intervention centre in my town, which I hadn't a clue existed. It's basically on a need to know basis, which is sad, but it's almost hidden away down a little back alley in a very old dilapidated building. And it has still it's still there. That's 14 years later. But that's the way I went at the time. And you went into this and you sort of applied. So basically you've got a form and said, I think, or someone thinks there's something wrong with my child. And they get you to, you know, they get a form out to you and social workers come out and they have a chat with you. Um, now what happens is you contact what's called an AON. So it's your assessment of needs officer. They're all listed on the HSE website and it tells you if there is an AON in your area. Me, I made close contact with my AON. We, I can chat to her anytime. I text her all the time, even though my kids now have all had their assessments. I will still send her a quick message saying, I'm really worried about this. Which Where do I go? Which area should I contact? Whether it's physio, speech and language, whether it's psychology um, or any of those services. So it's really good to have a good relationship. But again, this is one person for your area who will look after everybody in your area. So you must bear that in mind definitely when you're going for it. So your child has gone to school, teachers flag something and you contact your AON. The AON will then contact you, send you out a form, you fill out the form and then the form goes back to her or him and um, that person must come and see you within three months that is supposedly the legal entity that is put in place by the HSE this sometimes wavers you can complain but it'll still lag so you, you hopefully you'll be seen in three months that AOM will come to your house and will meet you take a quick sighting of the child have a quick look and go yes this child needs assessment or no I don't believe this child needs assessment so that process then is with the AON and their job is then to put the child forward for assessment through the HSE. Um, at this point for me with my second child, so that would have been probably six years ago maybe, um, he was about to start secondary school at the time and I actually ended up going private. Um, the thought was that he was dyspraxic and he was um, and he sort of had two of the three traits for autism but he didn't sort of hit the mark but he has sensory processing and he has dyspraxia so I ended up paying 500 euro going private get an assessment to get it into the school so that he could get his laptop his um, all the different things that he could do and the help that he could get in secondary school because it's a huge transition but while my assessment of needs officer was at the house I sort of nabbed her a little bit. I was a bit coy about it. And I took in another child and said, oh, I think there's something with this child too. What do you think? And I managed to get another child into the system that way, by just while she was here anyway. Um, so we got another form done out and got another child. So that was my third. And my daughter was put on the list at that stage. Um, but she's been years and years and years waiting because we decided to go through the HSE system with her um, purely because she was only in primary school. We knew we had time. And we thought, let's let this roll. Let's let the system roll and do its job. And hopefully by now it's doing a better job. So that's through the HSE system. And once the AON has seen your child and says, yes, this child needs assessment, that um, person will fill out forms and send them off to your local early intervention centre. Um, and the early intervention centre will then start looking at which list do we put them on. For me, what they did was they also put... Um, my daughter on the primary care list so primary care does 
physio, it looks at dyspraxia. So she was called for that first after about two years. She was called and we found out that she has dyspraxia. Um, but all across this time while we're waiting um, as well, there was other things being flagged. And when she did eventually get the dyspraxia um, assessment and the forms were done out, and this is primary care and primary care are also a branch of the HSE, they give me all the details so I could send into the school to give her some extra movement breaks and to keep an eye on her. They, um, what they do then is they give you some exercises that you can do. They really didn't offer her any classes. They didn't offer her any therapy. They sent me home about a 60 page printed out document telling me what I needed to do with her basically. And for most people in this situation, you're still working full time. You're gone most of the day. The child's in school. By the time they come home, you could have other kids, you have homework, you have dinners, you have washing, all the other stuff that goes on in your life. But there's no therapy. If there was a therapy, you'd take them to the therapy. But actually, there was nothing really, really available for her at that time. They were swamped. They just said, we've too many children. The list is too long. You're going to have to really look at this yourself. But they also flagged, we believe she needs to go for assessment for autism also. So from that point, they went back to our local early intervention centre and they said, we think this child, although has gone through AON, has gone through primary care and has dyspraxia, we believe also is autistic. So it was sent back round to that centre. But while, while we're waiting, while we're waiting for all this to happen, she was also showing signs of OCD tendencies. So um, repetitive behaviours, um, sort of germ-related behaviours. So I had gone back to my GP because um, she was washing her hands and her wee hands were all sore and raw. And, you know, it was really uncomfortable to look at. And they sort of said, look, we think maybe she needs to go to CAMS. So CAMS is our sort of mental health institution here for children. So it's children and adults. So she was referred into CAMS. CAMS done a couple of sessions. They got to meet her. They got to talk to her. They said, yes, she is showing signs of OCD. However, we believe they're linked to autism, even though she hadn't had a diagnosis. So we can't do anything. And that was really left. I was left again to go off and do what I was doing with all this. And while that was happening, my now he's now nine, the younger lad, he was sort of displaying bits of issues in school, bits of problems in school, his attitude, his sort of superior, I know everything kind of attitude, clever child, but you know, you don't really stand up to every teacher and the principal every day and sort of question what they're doing in their job and in their life probably too. Um, so he ended up on the list also which was only a phone call to the AON at this stage because she said right well there's three children gone through the system chances are your fourth one is going to have to so I'm not even going to come see him I, I you know I trust your judgment fill in the form get it back to me we'll get him into the system and the same process happened from AON he got referred to primary care primary care said he has severe sensory processing disorder um, but we believe he could be autistic so he got sent back around the loop again to the um, local early intervention centre. Um, so at this point, we're waiting two more years since both those assessments. I have contacted the schools. I have done everything I can for the kids, but really this is where we are at this stage. Um, and I also have an older one who's very borderline. He's he's autistic, he's Asperger's, but he's, you know, he's right on the cusp of, from the, the sort of high functioning to low functioning. And it can be quite difficult at times and he's getting bigger and needs more help and in secondary school and we're looking to the future. 
Um, so for some reason, the nine-year-old, he was eight at the time, he got called first for his assessment. Um, he went through the assessment and he was diagnosed autistic last September. And then my daughter, she was called up. She was 13 at this stage, already in secondary school. And she was diagnosed um, autistic as well. Um, and the forms only came in recently. And I just found the last two weeks, I had two reports in. They're about 25 pages long. You're reading them. And you're trying to get your head around everything that needs to be done and what the future holds. And you know how difficult it's going to come because I've seen it with my older uh, lad who's now 18. He's almost 19. And I think the worst thing was another letter came in from the HSE, from the Early Intervention Centre, asking me, could I pull all the reports together and send it to them? which baffles me. I mean, these are all different branches of the same department. They all have access to the same information. It's all linked to her PPSN number. Everything's linked. And yet they're asking me, would I pull all this information together? Meanwhile, I have to get it to schools. I have to make sure the schools put implementations in place. Again, I'm working on the oldest of the two because she's already in secondary and she's a girl and she's going through a lot anyway as a teenager. But, you know, the younger one, you've got just that little bit of time to get everything in place. And I just felt that there's no one you can ring. There's no one to help. Um, there's nobody at all, for certainly for the parents to call. And don't get me started on once they turn 18, because that's a completely whole different ballgame. But this is sort of brings us up to date of how the system works. Um, and that's for high functioning, um, a child that's high functioning, the way I sort of look at it. And you also have the option of going private. So you go for a private assessment, you pay 500, 800 euro, you get your assessment, you bring it into the school and the school say, well, we need to apply for, let's say, assistive technology through it's another department of education, but they won't recognize your report. So you have to make sure your private assessor is HSE recognized. So there's a lot of other aspects that you have to keep an eye on. Um, what I find with people with low functioning autism uh, those children tend to be picked up a little bit earlier and that's generally by the district health nurse. Now I think the process is still pretty much the same but the district health nurse will be doing their two year maybe sometimes their checkup, how's their hearing, um, have they hit their milestones. So they tend to get picked up a little bit earlier but they still have the same waiting time and I mean they have so much other issues in comparison to high functioning because of communication issues sometimes and their own bodily functions but they still have to wait years and years and years and again these parents have no one they have no one to pick up a phone and just say can I just rant can I just would you listen to me today and your family eventually gets fed up of listening and you don't want to have whether it's your partner coming home from work whoever is doing the caring you don't want them coming home and then spending your day just spilling it all out again and it's in the house all the time you, it need, you need to let it go and it needs to sort of dissipate over the day so you can get on with some sort of normality um but let's say you've got to this stage so you've got to the stage you finally have your assessments i'm now where i have two of them you know well assessed at this stage and the last two really and truly they've only just got their diagnosis so it's very fresh even though they've been on the list for four years, five years. And in fact, my daughter had been in the system from age four. She was getting speech therapy from the age four, age five. She was getting lots of different things. We knew there was something and nobody could pinpoint it because what they've discovered is that it's really, really hard to pinpoint autism in girls. They're fantastic at masking. They're fantastic at, at just this ability to copy 
everyone around them, this mimicking that they do. Whereas I, well, I've certainly noticed here with the boys, they don't really care. They'll just say what they want to say. And, and, and that in itself can bring on its own issues, definitely. But OK, so we've got to where we are. We You're at this stage and now you go, OK, what help am I going to get? Where's all these therapies? Where's all this physical therapy, you know, sensory therapy? I will say one thing. The schools are a great place to get help they now most schools now are set up with a sensory room or some sort of resource some time out there's people who are sort of a little bit more educated within the school the only downside to that is if a teacher is out sick they tend to pull on that resource and bring them into the classroom so that resource sometimes isn't there all the time for these children and that can be sort of disorientating because they need regular therapy they need something that's a routine and that really helps them or somebody at least to speak to so you're waiting on the therapy the therapy does not come that is the downside of our country it doesn't come you end up figuring out what is best for your child and paying for it yourself it's really quite difficult um, because you kind of you know they need help and a lot of the time the um, therapies will come in the form of a, a booklet and basically do this with your child at home or we recommend you put them into this club or you know something in your area which sounds fine but when you've got four of them and they all have different special needs and they don't want to leave the house and they don't want to go and they don't like socialize and it's really really difficult to get them involved in anything and again you just want somebody else sometimes you telling a child to do the same thing over and over again if it's somebody else it's a nice break it's not you you're still their mom you're still your dad you know you're still that other person away from this whole therapy side of it and this all these different sessions so therapies don't really come and that's the really the sad part you might get offered a little bit of speech and language therapy you'll do that for six to eight weeks then you have to go and practice at home with your child which is fine you will do that and you hope that their speech whatever their issue is that that actually comes on the physical therapy they do a lot in school anyway and that's why i say the school is actually a great place to actually get some sort of therapy from them um what i will say is a little tip uh, for anybody who is trying to get their child assisted technology so if a child has dyspraxia if the child if their hands are tired if they have hypermobility in their hands where they're constantly cracking their knuckles or making fists or bending them and it's sore for them to write or their writing is illegible which is in the case of one of mine as well as well as the others having hypermobility you can apply for assisted technology and the idea behind that is that they do everything with a laptop they do their homework their schoolwork and their exams with a laptop and that this will give them a greater chance of achieving what a, and a, a sort of a general neurotypical child will achieve with a pen in their hand but because they're at a disadvantage your child is a disadvantage that they can't keep up with the handwriting that they can get this laptop and how they do the test is the funniest thing I've ever seen they sit your child down and make them write for nine minutes that's it they say, I want you to write for nine minutes. Now they do, there's other little tasks. Look up, write, you know, off, almost off a blackboard, let's for instance, or a whiteboard, or they put a piece of paper beside them and they want them to write off that. And then they test them on typing to see if their typing skills are faster than their writing skills. I had the biggest argument with these people because my son's typing, he's now the oldest lad, his typing and his writing took the same time. They were the same speed. 
and I tried to explain to him he was I think he was 14 when he was um, assessed for this and I had to explain to them but he's been writing for 10 years he's only been typing for nine months so that's a wrong assumption and then I had another row with them saying I've never ever seen anybody sit an exam for nine minutes he was coming up to his junior cert and I said how can you assess how tired his hand gets in nine minutes no one ever sat an exam that's nine minutes long uh, unless there's something I'm missing here so being honest when it came to the second lad um, I knew his he was coming up to the same thing they were taking him in to do the exact same test um, and I made him sit down at our kitchen table and I made him write solid for 30 minutes I said keep writing and keep writing and keep writing until you can't write anymore and then I took him to the test because he can't, you can't even read his writing his writing is completely illegible it's it's always been like that but yet his typing is fast and nine minutes was never going to reflect his ability in writing and he may not have got the assistive technology so when it comes to those there's little tips you, you got to be practical i'm sorry but you do have to sort of go around the system and be practical about these things and when it comes to the actual exams of a child when they're going into state exams things to remember you can ask for reasonable accommodation. This is where the child is either in a room of their own or a room with three other people or maybe up to six others. This is just students and then they're supervised. So you can ask for reasonable accommodation and that can be on the basis of anxiety, of sound, too many people, crowds, whatever it is that might hinder them that they can't achieve their best ability. You can also go for the assistive technology where they go in a room and they use a laptop to do all their exams and that has to be ready for them, charged, and they have to have been practicing on that the whole way up to doing their exams. There is no point in doing assistive technology the week before their exams. Waste of absolutely everybody's time. And the last option is a scribe where someone else does the writing and your child vocalizes the answers. Um, very hard to get nowadays apparently. I did get it for my eldest lad. He The assistive technology was just too distracting for him. Um, so he had a room in his own with an SNA and they did the writing for him. But apparently it, it gets more difficult as time goes on um, for, to get these things. I'm not sure why the system has changed slightly. But I know you can get the reasonable accommodation and you can actually get the um, assistive technology. But you have to apply for it well in advance. Now this is really only getting you to the school. I'm not even going into the whole college and go for college. I'll talk about that actually another day. But at this point in time, you know, you've got your child assessed, you've got a diagnosis, you've come to terms that there's no real therapies out there for your child. You've got to do this yourself. And you're trying to get the most out of the school because that's where they spend a lot of their time. And you, there's a July provision. That's where you can get someone, a tutor or a lecturer or a teacher into your home and they will do some extra lecturing or tutoring of your child over the summer break. Now you don't have to use it for subjects. You can use it. I got some for over Easter for the younger boy and we used it for social skills. So it was very much about going out, talking to his friends, it was social distancing obviously at the minute with COVID, but it was really about friendships and how to keep friends. So we worked on that over the break. It can be over anything from fine motor skills. You can use that time to work on to um, vocabulary, if there is some particular subject, absolutely you can do that, but it doesn't have to be. It can be play related or therapy related. So there's a couple of different options, but use the school system and get as much and communicate as much as you can with the school. Absolutely, as ring them. I ring them all the time, all the time. I'm ringing them. I don't torture them. I just ring them. This is what's happening. How are you finding it? That's brilliant. What are you working on? I work on the same thing. 
and we sort of try and work off the same page. Right now, I'm trying to make sure I get all the reports in and I've got to sort of start the whole system with them again. Um, it's quite difficult. You can't go in and meet them. I can't talk to them. I can't see them face to face. So that can sometimes be quite difficult. Um, but let's say we've got to this stage anyway and we've come to this realisation and then all of a sudden your child turns 18. Unfortunately, there's nothing. And I mean nothing. There's nobody. There's no one to call. There's no one to ring. There's nobody for high function in autism. There's nobody that he can pick up the phone and make a phone call to. There's certainly no one for me to pick up the phone and make a phone call to. And the biggest issue is he's 18. He's an adult. They won't even speak to me. They will speak to him. And it's the most ludicrous thing that, you know, it was hard enough. We had the leaving and the junior cert and it was really, really difficult last March when everything sort of stopped and it stopped so suddenly. So the elder boy would be, you know, he was struggling as it was and he has five or six SNAs that are helping him every day. And then he was sent home and there's nobody and there's no SNAs and there's nobody to call and they don't really want that much communication with the school because they weren't sure how the exams were going to go and they didn't want this favoritism or asking for favors from teachers. And there was a whole sort of everything went upside down. I'm sure everybody knows about how bad it went. And it was just the rug was pulled from under him and he immediately got sick. I mean, immediately his stomach, his the anxiety. I had to ring the doctor on numerous occasions. He ended up 12 months. It's been 12 months. And the last few weeks have been quite good. But because everything changed and I had nobody, I couldn't ring the early intervention centre. I rang them and I said, OK, he's 18 now. So who looks after him? He leaves you guys. Where does he go? Well, he goes into the adult service. However, there is no adult service. And that was it. I said, is there a name? Is there somebody that I can call? No. So just be ready when your child gets to that age because they're not mature enough. They're really struggling. Um, and I think nobody, nobody, nobody tells you that this is, is how it's going to be. And no one lets you know this is what's going to happen. And I certainly had this vision in my head that he was going to turn 18. He was going to have some sort of adult service where he could pick up the phone and have a little chat with somebody if he had a bit of anxiety we'd get him off into a college course of some sort something he enjoyed and we could keep that up for a couple of years until he matured and we could figure out what he was going to do next and I could get my business you know just sort of up and running really good getting sort of staff on board starting to grow it this was always the plan the plan was May 2020 you know it was all going to turn around and that came and went and I realized that no that's not going to happen I have a, a sick 18 year old I have a, an anxious 18 year old I have somebody who deserves a future who has the capability of having a future but needs me to sit with him I'm now I mean I studied every exam that he had coming up to his leave and I just sat down and I, everything he studied I studied with him and that was what had to be done to encourage him to show him he could to show him if I can do it you can do it we will get through this and we worked at every last little point everything that he would need to get on the course he needed and we didn't bother with the other stuff we weren't going for straight A's it didn't matter I mean he was at four years old he was told his IQ was 143 and it makes absolutely no difference because if he can't sit in a classroom with people because of the noise if he can't organize his desk because his pencil's not paired to perfection or the line on his page is not dead straight what is the point in having this iq it really doesn't matter it doesn't get you anywhere 
you know they need life skills they need to be able to get past the little things so my job was to sit and I studied and I studied and I studied and we got him through and we did get him to college and like I say I'll go through how that's been going and, and how everything is um, later on but I just wanted to sort of talk about the processes so there really is only two steps it really is the assessment diagnosis and the therapy and unfortunately in this country there's a long wait for the first one and there isn't the second one and I think that's something that needs to be openly said to people and um, that they're not under any other illusion so hopefully um, you know I'll go through again some of the little tips in the next round of little things that have helped like when going for their writing um, exam to sort of basically see can you get assistive technology and that's a really big one but I think it was just important that people understood what's ahead of them and I think it's wrong for um, people to say you know to be delusional to think that you're going to get all this help because you really you're not and I think sometimes the best help you'll get is from another parent and that's the best place that you can actually get help for your child and every single one of them is different as well so it's something to remember but you know when you when you do look at them and I found certainly with mine they're very straightforward they're very blunt very straight children and sometimes that's good sometimes they'll walk up to you and they'll say I don't like this sandwich and you go that's okay or you know I don't like the color of your hair and you just have to accept that but the hardest part well it's the part where you just want the ground to open up and swallow you a little you know when you're walking with them you sort of go oh I can do this I can take them up the town and I can take them for a little walk and you're walking past somebody and they start looking and you go please don't speak please don't speak and they say oh that person's you know their hair's not nice or I don't like them or they're fat or they're too thin or whatever and you start going oh please stop commenting just stop commenting and you're you're looking at the child going it's rude but they're not they're literally pointing out things almost like a signpost that signpost said you know the signpost says turn right yes it does you know that shop says it's open yes it does that person has got funny glasses maybe they do maybe that's how you see it but sometimes they're little things and sometimes they're subtle but other times ooh, other times they're not and one time I recall is walking with my daughter who is a talker loves to talk and we bumped into a family member sort of not too distant family member um actually on my husband's side now what she didn't know was this this family member he um he was actually sort of at the end stage fighting cancer um looking healthy looking well you know just trying to get out and trying to sort of get a bit of exercise and it was we were all masked up it was sort of right at the beginning of the whole covid and people weren't sure what was going on and she sort of just walked up to him and just went your eyes looking the other way why is your eye looking the other way so he's a little twist in his eye I'm standing mortified going oh my god this poor man just wants to get outside he's unwell he doesn't need anybody pinpointing anything on him at all I'm my whole stomach sank I'm absolutely sick going I, I'm really sorry I'm really sorry I'm asking her to stand to one side and huge surprise he just turned around and he went yes it is is that funny what do you think about that and I really genuinely realized that it actually made him stop thinking about everything else it was probably one of the best things that had happened and he did say I'm so pleased you're honest and I'm so pleased that you had the courage to come and say that to me and it made me rethink that why we stop 
the kids from being so straight and so honest I don't know and I know sometimes it's hard we've had some really awful things where you know my kids sometimes they don't really mean it and they have said stuff you know and it's been really hard and I've had to go and apologize to people because they might have said stuff about another child and that's not fair that you know children don't understand and I have gone and apologized on their behalf and I will always do that I'm not going to fall out with anybody and I know when they've crossed the line you know and you know the most recent one is that the younger guy is is saying that we're all objects we're we're just things we're on the planet we're objects um you know that there's no religion and um this is we're just here for a function and so he's he's very straight very scientific minded you sometimes carbon their ideas might curb something that they may create later on in life so you have to be very careful but that was the best day because i realized you know honesty really is the best policy because she just cheered somebody up she wasn't being rude she wasn't pointing out anything that he doesn't look at every day in the mirror and there's nothing wrong with that she just was questioning well that's strange and I've noticed it and I'm going to tell you that I've noticed it and you know you just kind of have to stand back sometimes and say you gotta let them be themselves and I think that's something that I'm learning and have learned um over the last couple of years but you know I still have a long way to go so what well, I'm gonna stop I'm gonna finish up now I think I've probably sort of chatted on a little bit too much today about the assessments and all the diagnosis um, and if there's anything in particular I can pick up in, it in the next one but I will sort of move on to how to get them to college and what the next stage is and then I'll go into little tips of you know individual things like the different therapies about getting them to brush their teeth or getting them into a shower or things that worked for me over the last couple of years. So thanks for listening um, I've really enjoyed it and if there's anything else that you want me to talk about just let me know.